0: Welcome, friends, to the Generations Broadcast. Kevin Swanson, your host, with you today. And we want to discern the times. We need to understand the times. So we will know what to do. The men of Ishikar in the Old Testament, they were men who understood the times. But why? So they would understand what to do. We need to know what to do. What God calls us to in the particular age in which we happen to live today so a bit of a visionary program today. What's happening in our world? It's important that we identify where we are right now. Um, for example, and this is a little bit of an extraordinary example, but if you wake up in a mental institute, you need to know where you are. Where am I? You, know, you need to know your surroundings. And I do think it's important for us to understand that we're in an age of immaturity, an age of insobriety, an age of escapism, uh, an age of isolation. Truly an isolation affecting the modern. It's an age of anarchy and a rejection of authority and an age of fear. A lot of fear around us. Be aware of that as well. Not necessarily the fear of God, of course, but the fear of, well, just about everything else. It's an age of relativism. And relativism on steroids eventually gives birth to insanity and irrationality. And so we live in an age that has abandoned rationality or the ability to think. These are the sorts of things that identify the world we live in today, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. Michael Phillips is the editor of the George MacDonald Collection and of our edition of Sir Gibby, by the way. We just issued this tremendous uh, edition of Sir Gibby, a readable version of the George MacDonald's classic. And uh, Michael Phillips has dedicated so much of his life to reviving some of this from the George MacDonald collection. He's the author of a new book called Endangered Virtues in the Coming Ideological War. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. But first, uh, Michael, welcome to our Generation's broadcast. It's good to have you here today.
1: Thanks very much, Kevin. Good to be here.
0: Yeah, let's talk a little bit about just George MacDonald and your a uh, contribution to reviving George MacDonald uh, he, he wasn't he wasn't actually published much in America in the 1950s, 60s and 70s until until you got involved with that how did that come about just just briefly let's touch on that
1: well uh, my wife and i were incredibly taken with um, C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia we discovered Narnia actually before Narnia was even published in this country. Hmm. We heard about it. We had to order our first copies of of Narnia from England, hmm. and we were we were just completely blown away. We read the, read the whole series probably in a week and passed them back and forth to each other.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and what what we year what just, year would that be? I mean, what are we that talking? That was
1: nineteen seventy one.
0: Okay. Okay. Wow.
1: Uh, the same year we were married, this uh, we we discovered Narnia probably six or eight months before we were married, and we just went nuts with Narnia and a friend happened to have read a book, a Hannah hernard book, and I'm sure the name is familiar to you who said in just in passing in one of her books. Anyone who loves C. S. Lewis will eventually move on to George McDonald. Hmm. Can you imagine a statement like that mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. somebody who has just gone crazy over Narnia? We had to find out who this guy McDonald was better than better than Lewis. I mean I I mean I didn't believe it. I was such a Lewis fan. But we what we did is we went to our local public library and looked up McDonald, and there were a few, there were a handful of fairy tales available: the Princess and Curdie, and the Back of the North Wind. And we read those, and we read, we read what our library had of McDonald's, which was only four or five books, all fairy tales, no sermons, no theology, no full-length novels. And we wanted more, and we just we went on a search for more McDonald stuff but nothing was in print there were no novels no sermons no poetry mcdonald had disappeared from the publishing landscape altogether but we back in those days it was postcards and envelopes and writing to old used bookstores and do you have any george mcdonald books and one by one by one, we just gradually found some of the old books that had been out of print for a 100 years. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I, there were two books that started my own sort of odyssey in in bringing MacDonald back and republishing. The first one was called Malcolm, mm-hmm. and the other was Sir Gibby.
0: Yep. Mm hmm.
1: And those two books, they exploded my brain like Narnia had. But Narnia is a fairy tale. And these were books about real people in a real place, Scotland. But they they exploded places in my brain and my heart open in the same way. Just a huge new vision of God and his work and who God was, and those two books, Malcolm and Sir Gibby, I knew almost instantly I had to find some way to get these things back in print, and began editing and working on trying to create some editions that would interest a publisher, Took five years and thirty rejection letters and all of the rest that mm-hmm. young authors go through, but that's that's kind of how it began. And um, when I finally did get the first edition of Malcolm was the first of the McDonald reprints that I did, and Gibby came right along the next year, and they started to sell and people other people discovered it in mcdonald's novels just what i had and so we mm. kept doing more and more and more and there it is
0: what do you think it is that uh makes him such a master storyteller he paints such a picture how does he do it have you thought through that
1: there are those that say that mcdonald was not really that great a novelist wasn't a great wordsmith and Oddly enough, C.S. Lewis is one of those, and I couldn't disagree more. I just, I believe that his writing is just filled with imagery and music, and I love his writing. My fictional career as a novelist is is based on trying to emulate McDonald, but it's more than that. It's... It's his vision of God. It's his vision of God's fatherhood. The fatherhood of God comes into every book he wrote. Now, he, he tells a great story, and it's, it's mysteries and murder and castles and lost inheritances and romance, all of the rest that make, that make a, a great novel. And his wordsmithing, his imagery, his character development—all those things are terrific in in a McDonald novel. Mm-hmm. But underlying it all is his vision of God's fatherhood, and that's kind of the, the 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 fabric, in my view, that holds it all together and makes it magical spiritually as well as as well as a fantastic read.
0: Yeah hmm Well, what we're trying to do is recover, you know, spiritual, uh good, solid Christian classics for children as part of the generation's vision. And we go back into you know, hundreds and a thousand years plus of Christian history to identify the best material, and certainly George MacDonald's Sir Gibby is one of those classics uh throughout history. And uh I'd highly recommend a read. and by the way, my, my daughter is working a uh a read of it she does a very good job with the scottish mm. accent she, she she read it out loud to us uh, every evening last winter it was just a neat time so and oh, she was so good at the scottish brogue that i said beth you're just gonna have to read this and and so she's wow. worked on that for the last four months so she has a I think a very good read such that you know you're just so engaged when you listen to her. So, anyway, <laughs> she's going to put that on audio for our audience, and I think people are going to enjoy it this Christmas. But, uh, I wanted to get to your new book, Endangered Virtues in the Coming Ideological War, Michael. Um, and I realized a bit of a shift here as we talk about this, but uh, you know, we're, we're at a, a, a point in history, I told you this off line that we are in such a secular age, but also a, an age of deconstruction, an age of disintegration at every single level that we wanted to put together, you know a curriculum that is based in a Christian world and life view and maintains a, a very strong Christian literature and a Christian way of thinking. Uh, for 12 years of uh, a curriculum, largely for homeschoolers here in America and other countries around the world, but we're reacting to what's going on. I, I told you this. I think we're we're Christian yeah. curriculum on steroids, partially because we're reacting to where we are today. And you you yeah. step back and you're looking at this and you're saying we are in a dangerous time, endangered virtues. And we're, this is a dangerous time. Maybe describe that just for a moment.
1: Well, for a lot of years i as i I said in the book i I avoided writing about culture and politics. I never weighed in weighed into any of those things. I've been writing fiction for and other things for thirty years mm-hmm. and i I avoided that because I felt like my calling was to address well as Mcdonald did spiritual things, the fatherhood of God, who God is, how does God work in our lives. And MacDonald avoided any any, um, cultural, political topics as well. And I never really imagined diverging from that, but in recent years, the divide... That you describe has just become so stark, hmm. so troubling, so dangerous, mm-hmm. and I th- that, and I I guess I felt like Christians were being unwittingly drawn into the world in ways that were dangerous and that that had never never really been the case before. I finally I just felt God saying, "You can't be silent any longer. You have to address this." this divide this cultural shift Mm -hmm. and it was a surprise to me but i I, you mentioned martin luther when we were talking earlier and i i just knew that this was kind of i don't mean to make more of it than it is but my martin luther moment when i needed to say here i stand Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i didn't i wasn't under any illusions that i was going to change the culture but I had to do it for me. I had to say, here's how I see things, here I stand. And if if anybody read it, well, that was different, but God called me to make my own personal stand. And so that's, that's kind of mm-hmm. how the book began.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, is this an ideological battle between conservatives and liberals? You mentioned that. Or do you think that uh, it's a a battle between those that have left the Christian faith and those that are still rooted in biblical Christian thinking? Is that, you know, where do we draw the line, do you think?
1: It's complicated, and it's subtle, and it's Mm -hmm. confusing, and Mm -hmm. I don't, in a way, I don't think any of those lines really apply anymore. That's what's so complicated about it. You have non-Christians who are yet traditional American thinkers. They they value the past. They value America's roots. They value tradition. They may not be spiritual people at all. And then you have Christians, or avowed Christians, that are completely liberal in their cultural orientation, and in a way, the, and these two are on opposite sides, and then you have traditional-minded Christians, um, it's kind of all over the map. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it so hard to, to really even talk about, because the, the sides and the alignments in the ideological battle are, are very complicated.
0: You also talk about the absence of common sense in the modern era and tie that somewhat into relativism. And I think I made that comment on the front end of the program that relativism itself seems to just put the mind towards not being able to think at all. Like, you know, we, we surrender to rationality as we abandon the possibility of absolutes. Is that is that your take?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, so much, so much of of well, what I've called the ideological war. So much of what's going on around us, for me, is just total common sense. It's a everything's a no-brainer. I just my wife and I sometimes will read something, some bit of news, and we'll just say, "Are they all just nuts?" It's just lack of common sense has left the building and yet there are really intelligent people who hold some of the craziest views that defy logic and defy common sense i i can't get my head around it but that's the world we're in once absolutes are gone Mm-hmm. then 2 plus 2 can equal 5. This is right for you, but this is right for me. And they're completely opposite. God exists for you, but he doesn't exist for me. And people who say that actually really believe that both those statements can be true.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, I
1: can't get my head around the you, way people think.
0: In which case, we can't really even have the conversation. If there's no possibility to end up in a you know truthful proposition... Why are we having this conversation? Uh, you know, it, ultimately, it gives way to irrationality or insanity, which I think, in, in other words, we're closer to that today than we were twenty years ago. Is that what you're saying?
1: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that's why i've I've kind of taken the tact in the book of rather than berate. The law I mean I, I do talk about all these things, but I try to come back around to being virtuous people in how we how we respond to the times and being virtuous in how we relate to people as Christians because I really believe that it's only our own personal, witness our personal virtue, our personal character that will open doors that rationality and common sense are not going to open. Because those things are gone. Mm-hmm. But virtue is not gone. And there are virtuous people all, all on all sides of everything, but character, personal character, personal integrity, those are the door openers. Because we in, you're right in a way we really can't have rational conversations if we just go after the ideas themselves there has to be a deeper level a kind of a rock bottom basis for the way we interact with this world that's kind of gone off the rails and i think personal character and integrity and virtue and wisdom those are the the foundational door openers.
0: One of the chapters in your book has to do with honor, and it seems to me that that's a a building block, a fundamental building block for wisdom and knowledge. The beginning of wisdom and knowledge is the respect, reverence, and the fear of God, first and foremost, and then also honor for parents and so forth. That's the fifth commandment. So when I speak of culture, in fact, I've been interviewed on the question of popular culture lately on a few radio programs, And I always tend to go towards honor as a fundamental, first to honor God, and then secondly, to honor one another. It just seems so fundamental, doesn't it?
1: It absolutely does. You know, it's hard, though, because then the question comes, do I honor somebody whose views, I think, are just so wrong, if not outright evil. We're commanded to honor our leaders, and yet how do we honor one who is putting atrocious things into the cultural bloodstream and teaching children those atrocious things? It is really hard, and yet honor is one of those most fundamental fundamental building blocks of character. You're right, and it's a challenge, and yet we're commanded to honor our leaders and honor all men. Um, difficult tightrope to walk.
0: Yeah, yeah. In fact, I think it was the Apostle Peter who said, you know, fear God, honor the king. And there's a pretty high possibility that Nero was the emperor at the point at which he was I writing know, that. I know, I so, really a good example. Pretty fundamental, yeah. But uh, but in terms of building culture we simply cannot build culture without as i see it first honoring god and then secondly honoring mother and father and honoring our elders as well and you, you make a point out of that that it's really critical to honor the the elderly stand up in the presence of the aged show respect for the elderly and revere your god i mean there it is again leviticus 1932 yeah she isn't that to in a that great that verse that's tremendous yeah i mean it's so basic isn't it you throw that out the window you throw all of that out the window, what do you got? Not much.
1: Yeah, and that's, I think, where the family institution is just being demolished by our modern culture. And it's, it's, it's the generations, it's parents, it's children, it's the entire fabric. And yet that is the fabric of humanity. That's what God started with. Mm-hmm. It started with a man and woman, and they had children, and there's a family, and then the generations grew. It's in the first, first three chapters of Genesis, and everything revolves around that. The fabric mm-hmm. of humanity, mm-hmm. which is family, and, right. mm-hmm. um, and yet an honor. Is, is, is intrinsic to that, and that's what, I mean, culture is just teaching children from the moment they're born to dishonor their parents, and, mm-hmm. I mean, you being in, in Christian education, I mean, that's that's got to be a major, major battle, because mm-hmm. young, I mean, they could, young people can be from the most um, Christian environment, but but the dishonor's in the air. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, let's uh, move on to the second part of your book, and really, to the the what shall we do? How shall we then live? Remember, Francis Schaeffer would ask that question in one of his most important books, and I think you referenced that in this book, but... What do we do now? Where do we go from here? And I know Rod Dreher, you know, has his Benedict option. And I wrote the book Epoch, The Rise and Fall of the West, in which, you know, I try to draw conclusions at the end. I think we're all trying to figure out how should we then live? What shall we then do? um you speak of this uh, disengaged engagement and when i think of that i think of what i like to call the puritan separatist tension that goes on went on in the founding of this nation do you know purify the system or do you separate yourself from the system and uh you know what i i think that's actually a beautiful way to state it because i do think as christians we are absolutely called to disengaged engagement <laughs> you know but what does that look like i guess is the question
1: I've had friends through the years who were sort of of the uh, let's go get forty acres out in the in the wilderness and, mm. and build our little separatist community. And, yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. There is there is that side to it that it's been tried through history, and I suppose sometimes that's worked. Um, the Amish. Are basically living a separatist life, mm-hmm. and I honor a lot of the things that they do, but I just I'm just not sure that's the answer. Mm-hmm. And we are to be disengaged from the world, but we but most people live in the world. Yeah, like they just they do, and so I, I as we were. You brought that up earlier, and I, I kind of my the back of my brain was realizing, you know, your schools and your your educational system that you you've built and what you're doing with your um, cl- classical education with young people. To me, that is an ideal, perfect example. And I don't mean to overly praise what you're doing, but I think it's exactly right. Those kids are in the world and you're trying to take them out of the world in their education, but they probably all still have cell phones. They yeah, they mm-hmm, sure. they go to the mall. Yeah. Mm-hmm, they drive. Mm-hmm. They're in the world. You're trying to teach them to be in the world and not of the that's world. That's it. Yeah, I think Disengage, that's it. Mm-hmm. But engage. So they leave your school, they leave after reading Sir Gibby and reading the classics. Mm-hmm. and and then they go to the mall how do they live those two that's the tension and Mm -hmm. i think that's a beautiful example we have to figure out how to be in the world and not be of the world everybody has to walk that individually and it's hard but not everybody can just go out and kind of buy a mountain and live on a mountaintop that's not the answer
0: you know, I think of what Jesus said, the salt needs to have some savor. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. So we're still called to be the salt and the light, which means we come into contact with that which needs to be salted. But he also says that the salt has lost its saltiness, wherewith shall it be salted? And so as I see it, what we're trying to do is re-salt the salt so that they can be salt to the world, <laughs> you know? And almost as if what you're saying here in this book is, uh, we want to be sure that we ourselves are men and women of co- of, of character and, and virtue ourselves, that we retain some salt. And if we do retain that salt, we raise our children as those who have been well salted and have a saltiness to them. Mm-hmm. Then they have something to uh, to preserve the world around us or to be of impact or of positive contribution to the world around them does that make sense i i'm thinking what jesus said is probably the answer for us
1: (laughs) exactly i mean i think you've said it really well i mean character virtue light salt those are qualities that don't accomplish anything out on the south 40 or on a mountaintop right those we live those at the mall Mm -hmm. And I don't envy young people today, because as difficult as that balance is for us, and you know, you and I have been around a while, and yet young people are in a cauldron of cultural um, confusion, and yet, I mean, what you're trying to do, teaching them to walk that balance, is really great, and... How do we be salt and light? Mm-hmm. 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 That's that's the challenge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a it's a hard world we're in. It's a post-Christian world, and and I think it's going to get worse. And that's why I use the term ideological war. It's it's these are serious times, and yeah. I mean, you're tra- you're training warriors. Mm -hmm. in those Mm -hmm. young people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. idea warriors
0: that's the intent yes well folks uh, thoughtful exchange on some important ideas on this edition of generations the book is endangered virtues in the coming ideological war a challenge for Americans to reclaim the historic virtues of the nation's Christian roots and the author's Michael Phillips The book is available at Amazon so I'm looking at the uh, the page right now so amazon.com check it out endangered virtues in the coming ideological war with my guest Michael Phillips uh, thank you Michael for uh, for joining us it's been a good conversation thank you
1: thanks thanks so much very uh, very invigorating and challenging <laughs> For I know for you and you and mm. me as well as as the listeners.
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. This is Kevin Swanson inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.